A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. There's been a little softening in input prices, but they aren't coming down quickly. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report. Economist Jason Trundle with the Fertilizer Institute predicts supply and prices of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash ahead of the 2023 growing season. The good news is fertilizer prices are actually trending down, and so they have been for the last couple of months, both on the N, the P, and the K side, which is good news. Um, We've seen kind of some general softening there. So as growers are heading into the spring, I think that hopefully... Uh, is a, is wel- is, a, is a welcome site. Are they comparing at all to prices before 2022? Um, I do know that, uh, for example, the NOLA urea price actually got down to where it was, I think, back in, uh, I don't know if it was maybe like June of 2021. So they are kind of getting back into at least the ballpark, uh, I think particularly on the P&K side, um, and nitrogen is, is headed that direction. How is that happening since we're still experiencing supply chain problems and a war going on in Russia, Ukraine? You know, from a production and the import export side of things, like those things are resilient and they luckily over time there hasn't fingers crossed, hasn't been any uh, new significant disruptions. And so over time, supply has kind of been able to maybe kind of catch back up on top of things. And then, so I think that has helped. I think some of the the decrease in input costs. So in terms of natural gas on the nitrogen side, sulfur on the the phosphate side, some of those input costs coming down, both here as well as globally, has, has helped to kind of relieve some of that pressure that was there. Ahead of our interview, you said that there's two main components that'll influence 2023 fertilizer prices. Why don't you remind us what that was? One is really just affordability, um, and that's really going to drive when we think about kind of fertilizer application. And so, and when I say kind of affordability, what I'm talking about is the relative price between fertilizer and those output prices. So as a grower is sitting down and determining their budget, they have to try to say, okay, what, what am I going to get for my outputs, and therefore, what can I spend on my inputs. And if those two things kind of stay in alignment, we'll see a strong spring in terms of uh, there'll be a lot of demand, there'll be a lot of uh, application that, or, or a lot of product that will be applied, which I think means that we're going to have strong yields, you know, pending weather and all that. So I think that's the first thing is where where do fertilizer prices stay relative to crop prices? Crop prices have remained relatively strong, which is the good news. The second thing really is crop mix um, as well as weather. I mean, so Fertilizers typically applied in a very small window in the spring, and different crops need different amounts. And so depending on what producers choose to grow, that will affect uh, how much they need. And then can they get in the field, um, or will we experience any challenges with that? That would leave additional supplies or stronger carryover that would cause prices to to soften. So those are really the two things that we feel like are going to drive what we see in the market this spring. I want to talk more about fertilizer production, where it's happening, you know, how much of it's happening and how that influences producers here in Wisconsin. Yeah, uh, so a lot of the production, particularly that is utilized in the Midwest, actually occurs in the Midwest. And so there's a number of uh, a number of facilities across the Midwest, whether that's in Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska. And then there's obviously some closer to that Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, because a lot of natural gas is found there. Um, so particularly on the nitrogen side, a lot of production does kind of occur in the middle part of the United States. And so a, a good portion probably of the product that 
that's here used here in Wisconsin comes actually domestically from there. That's mainly on the nitrogen side. You know, the coasts in terms of nitrogen are probably supplied more by imports. On the phosphate side, we have strong production in Florida and North Carolina, as well as out in Idaho. Um, and so that product then potentially moves here via rail. Maybe some comes up the Mississippi. Maybe some of that's imported, but some of that could be domestic production as well. And then potash, uh, we get a lot of that um, from Canada. So most likely for Wisconsin, I would guess a majority of that comes railed from Canada. So I think the good news is, I mean, we're the third largest producer of nitrogen and we're the third largest producer of phosphate globally. So the American farmer and the Wisconsin farmer can rely on a, a strong domestic production to help supply their needs. You know, almost a year ago when the wrench was thrown into our fertilizer supply chain, did the U.S. ramp up domestic fertilizer production? Are we seeing kind of a a focus on that? You know, even before all this kind of happened, typically we were running at at full capacity. Um, And so when we think about nitrogen, it's a chemical physical process that it doesn't work well unless you're operating it basically at capacity. So it's either on or it's off. And so I think, yes, there's been at least renewed focus that what can we do to ensure that we are at capacity as much for the majority of the time that we can be. You know, there are necessary times when plants need to go down for maintenance, for safety reasons, things like that. But yeah, the domestic industry knows that, hey, this is a a product that's needed to grow the food that you and I eat. And so it's really important. And they've done everything they can from a planning perspective to ensure that they can supply as much as possible to the domestic industry. Yeah, you had an interesting uh, statistic that the U.S. is the third largest fertilizer producer, yet we still require more. Yeah, I mean, the ag industry here is so large that even though we're the third largest producer in both N and P, we still have to rely on imports uh, because we grow so much, so many crops um, that we we utilize um, nutrients that are brought in from other places around the world to be utilized by growers. I want to break down, we've been talking about fertilizer in general, but let's break it down to the N, the P, and the K. Is there one of those that you are, the outlook is more favorable than the others or one that maybe isn't so favorable than the others? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's uh, any particular one, but I think there's different things that we're watching for each. So when we think about nitrogen, I think what we're really watching uh, right now, at least at TFIR, is kind of twofold. One is where do natural gas prices go? Um, Because that's the key feedstock for ammonia and all the other nitrogen uh, fertilizers. So where does that go? Generally, that's been trending in the right direction, both here as well as globally. Does it stay that way? It's a good question. We'll have to see kind of where you know where the winter goes um, and then it is interesting we've we've actually been exporting more nitrogen products than normal potentially making up for some of the production shortfalls in other places so does that persist or do we kind of get back to importing more of a normal amount here in the u.s so that's on the nitrogen side on the phosphorus side we are watching you know domestic production and utilization you know where does that kind of necessarily shake out from an import export side we're kind of right where we would anticipate um, us to be and so So it's just a matter of, hey, where will domestic production end up um, going into next spring and and next year? And then on the uh, the potash side, it really is just kind of related to, can we continue to get a reliable source from Canada? Can we supply a majority of our needs there? Because Belarus and other places um, have been disrupted. And I think the good news there is, is that, you know, Nutrien, other companies have increased their production, which has probably helped alleviate some of that price pressure. Is price gouging still an issue? 
because that was in the headlines kind of at the start of when we really saw a volatile fertilizer market. Is that still something that folks are looking into? You know, anytime we see prices go up, we're naturally going to have questions asked related to price. So whether that is, you know, we had questions related to gas, when gas prices go up, when meat prices go up, uh, when fertilizer prices go up, those questions were necessarily, uh, you know, asked. I think it is something that people are still watching um, and still curious about. I mean, I think there's been quite a bit of work. There's a great study out by Iowa State University um, that figure out what are the drivers in this. Is it something that is related to a company taking some action or is it a more general kind of supply and demand? Not one company, not one country, not one person can influence. Um, And that study really concludes that, hey, there's so many things that are going on, many of them that I talked about today, um, that those are the things that are really driving the market. So, of course, there's still always going to be questions whenever there's there's high prices. You know, I think that we've seen so many disruptions uh, that those are the things that are really weighing on the market and continuing to weigh on the market, particularly price. All right. And then you had some four great solutions to help farmers navigate price volatility in the fertilizer market. Break those down for us, please. Yes, as we think about spring, you know, we're really recommending these four things. You know, one is to really understand your needs. So if you haven't been soil testing, if you don't know what nutrients you need to grow the crop and and the target yield that you want, you could be over applying or under applying. So really understanding those needs is important. The second one is, you know, following 4R and conservation practices. How do you be sure that the product you're putting on that's high priced is going to be used as optimally as possible um, without having, you know, losses uh, to the environment and things like that? The third one is, you know, communicate, communicate, communicate. Those relationships with your retailers um, and with your agronomists are really important now more than ever. Let them know what you're hoping for, what, what, are, what are your goals, what products do you need, when do you need them, and work with them to ensure that you're going to be able to get the product when you need it uh, at your farm. And then the last one is mitigate risk any way you can in terms of uh, locking in output prices um, and, and then working backwards from there to budget for input prices and then focus on an, uh, an average cost of those input prices, not necessarily the the one-time cost as you kind of layer in purchases over time. Jason Trundle is an economist for the Fertilizer Institute, and he says you can get in touch with them by visiting tfi.org. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.